One Week Season. Once again, to the OWS Weekend Review Show. I am your host, Todd Burrows, and once again, I am joined by a man who this week had more sick family members than lineups, the fly boy himself, Mark Garcia, a.k.a. Hilo. And we will review some of our key process points of the week and see what worked and what didn't, and if there is anything we would change moving forward. And now the man who you literally can't kick in the nuts because the word nuts is plural, Hilo. <laughs> what is up, fam? I love it. That was a solid <laughs> intro. You're just one up in the game, man. You're going to have to really bring it next week. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I can beat that one. <laughs> yeah, that's that's solid right there. That's just good family fun, man. <laughs> <laughs> the sad thing is I've got about four other good ones that are uh related and uh oh yeah the, bring them oh dude when I, am, when I thought of this one because you brought it up you know the for <laughs> those chat. of you who don't know Hilo had uh cancer in his um you know gonad. testicle uh testicle there that's the correct word and term and when he was in the military and so I had known this for a while, and um, but you were talking about it on a chat uh, over the weekend, so I figured it was fair game for me to aim my laser-sharp sense of humor at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. X was asking how I got my call sign uh, in chat, and so I had to basically tell the whole full story, and that was part of it. So, By the way, I did not know that part of it. I thought... I, I at one point I was going to ask you on here how did you get your call sign? Even though I'm sure at some point with one of the pods we've done, I've asked that and I'm just old and forgetful at this point. Um, in fact, I'd like to forget my lineups from yesterday. But I'm, um, oh man! All right, so let's let's before we go too far down that road, <laughs> man, you literally can't kick in the nuts. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh at my own humor, but that one when I when I thought of that one, I really enjoyed it. Yo, so actually they offer you prosthetics or a prosthetic when that happens. And uh I was like, do you make it in gold? Like that was the my response to the doctor asking me if I wanted a prosthetic. Uh so I've had a a good sense of humor about the whole thing the whole time. Oh, so I, if I, I didn't it. know that you, I could joke about it, I certainly wouldn't. <laughs> um, you know, but we've talked about it a number of times and you've yeah. shown, you've shown nothing, uh, no, nothing that made me feel like uh, <laughs> hitting you down there. <laughs> would, be <a> pro- <laughs> would be a problem. Um, Mark, one of the big things on the week uh, that was used is the term stack on stacks, heavy game stacks. How did that strategy do? I think, uh, I mean, regardless of what week it is and how the week is shaping up, like choosing to attack a particular slate by choosing game environment first and that um, AKA stacking, 
um, is going to be the most profitable way to think about things from a DFS mindset perspective. So I don't think that that we can necessarily say that this week was (coughs) different in that sense. I think that there was just a lot of uncertainty and a lot of false guise of certainty um, this past week, particularly at the running back position. Yeah, I I, I think when it came to game stacks, I I don't think that actually was um, as necessary as um you know we thought it might be but i still think it was a solid strategy for the week um and and uh i'm glad that we um i'm glad you know i don't think it was bad advice at all i think that it was actually very good advice for the week yeah, and it was kind of an interesting week that we didn't really see like a, a game stack matter, really. Which was, no, and, yeah, and that's that was my point. Yeah. So we 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 talked about stack on stacks on stacks, but um, the week didn't play out that way. But that in no way makes it less of a good strategy, or as JM always likes to say, if we had played out the hundred, uh, the slate a hundred times, um, I don't think that one time you would have had a millionaire making team that had Baker Mayfield scoring 15 points and Donovan Peoples Jones. So, you know, um, there were a couple outlier performances. It's interesting to me that um, Cooper cup was not on the Millie maker winner um, or the second place team. Uh, Wait, he was on second. All right. Yeah. But um uh, a, a Stafford stack did come in second place in the Millie Maker. So, I, I, you know, I do think that that, um, you know, what, what ended up happening is that the three games that we highlighted, two of them played under that under expectation, and the third one, only one of the two teams, the the Rams, played up to expectation. Um, the way that I had really taken the week was I decided to be on Daniel Jones and not Stafford, which is just the way my luck's been trending. Um, you know, with the car, uh, the 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 Rams coming from west to east for a, a a one o'clock game, I felt like for that game to really give you GPP winning scores, Daniel Jones would have to have a good day. And so I was kind of right, kind of wrong, but because. Stafford had a big day and Cooper Cup had a day that was really, really strong. Yeah. And that the Kadarius Tony injury I knew was a big deal when it happened for that whole game environment. Because the you look at the first drive and then they, they come away with three points after leaning on Kadarius Tony he- heavily. And then they didn't score again until late in the fourth quarter. So it was like, oh man, like, uh, can we have something like bounce? our way for once because uh, yeah. i was and, i was and on the, and the answer so too. far this year is no <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> the answer is no uh baker mayfield won a million dollars while only scoring 15.16 points um we're not going to do a full you know deep analysis but the rest of that team was jonathan taylor with no houston piece uh joe mixon with no detroit piece cd lamb with no um New England piece, 
Donovan Peoples-Jones, who caught a Hail Mary. Adam Thielen, um, who we did talk about, but no Carolina piece coming back. Uh, George Fant, with no Vegas piece. And Travis Kelsey. So the winning millionaire lineup had two tight ends. It had no stacks. No, uh, I mean, it did have a... Um, a Mayfield Donovan Peoples Jones stack with no Arizona coming back. This is the third week in a row, Mark, where it really is kind of, it goes against a lot of the core principles. And, and it, it, it could be tempting, to, like I said last week, to get away from making the best lineups, but I'm still not discouraged. Yeah. And I think what, we all kind of need to understand about this is like any lineup entered in any contest can win the contest. It is a matter of giving ourselves the the requisite expected value over time to be profitable over time. Like any, any lineup that is thrown in a contest can catch lightning in a bottle. It's these lineups that we've seen the past three weeks like they are constructed in a way that so much has to go right in order to succeed. But obviously like it, that dude just won a million dollars. So like, we can't like, like, dude, don't do that. Don't do that again next week because you just won a million dollars. It's kind of like a, not necessarily like a fool's, a fool's errand, but like the dude, the dude being the million maker. So like in one hand, like, it's hard to say like, dude, you suck at DFS when his lineup just won a million dollars, if that makes sense. But like realize that that is like, we can akin that to like winning the lottery. It is like so much had to go right in order for that to be successful. It just happened to. And so, yeah, like we, we just want to put ourselves in the best position to remain profitable over time. And the way that we do that is what we're trying to teach here at OWS. Yeah. So everyone kind of remembers Chris Moneymaker and, you know, and and he beat uh, that one guy who was a professional in the finals. Phil Ivy, dude. No, he didn't beat Phil Ivy in the finals. He beat oh. uh, he, he beat that guy. Moneymaker beat the guy. He's kind of uh, Arabic. I would say. Um, in the final, but who was the guy a couple years after that? He was he was a big talker. Ari Gold. Ari Gold. No, Ari Gold was from. Oh, that's from uh, <laughs> Entourage. <laughs> his name is Gold. I forgot what his it name is. is. Yeah, Gold <laughs> that's funny. One. Uh, yeah. Um, no, but I I said Phil no. Ivy because Jamie that was Gold. like Jamie, Jamie Gold. Gold. That's it. And, and I remember Jamie Gold like a couple years. I remember Jamie Gold like a few years later, basically saying that you know he he just was blowing through the money because he kept playing that way that won him the money, and it wasn't it wasn't good, right? Yeah. So yeah, if you win a million dollars and you stop playing, right? But the the point that I'm trying to make here is. We've seen even in, you know, poker is a game of skill. DFS is a game of skill. But every once in a while, someone gets lucky. And we don't want to chase luck. We want to train people to increase their odds to be profitable over time. Exactly right. I think that's a a good analogy. Um, I said Phil Ivey because that was when Chris Moneymaker 
won the 04, I think, World Series. Um, that was like the hand that started the poker boom was uh, Phil Ivey's trip nines. I think, yeah, he flopped a set of nines and uh, Moneymaker like went runner, runner, higher boat or something like that. And it like it blew up. So but anyway, yeah, I, I love that point in that analogy. Yeah, I, now I now I need to um, look up who he beat in the final. It's a guy who always smoked a cigarette. Oh, oh Sam Farha? Sam, Sam Farha. He beat Sam yeah. Farha in the final. You know, and Sam Farha is a really good poker player. I, no agreement? No, yeah. I'm sorry, I was... <laughs> I forgot we're not doing video. I was not. I mean, you're the poker head. guy. I'm like, wait, yeah. maybe, I, maybe I'm missing something. Oh, sorry. Right. So I, I was um, my strategy this week, um, I also played pretty heavy game stacks, but um, and we'll talk about it more. But I was heavily invested in the Cowboy game and the um, Denver uh, Raider game. So we'll cover that in a little bit. But another really key point before we get there, Mark, was how to handle the running back chalk this week, especially the low-priced options, and that was the chalk build. What was the key advice that you gave to get around that chalk build, and how would you say it worked out? The biggest thing on Saturday was that there was going to be – I felt like there was – the field had a greater degree of certainty with the fill-in running backs, the guys who had injuries ahead of them, than I thought was warranted. And I thought that we were going to see extremely heavy chalk, which we ended up doing. Um, and it really came down to running back position was going to win or lose you the week, basically. Um, and so I just cautioned against feeling any level of comfort like we had in the past with Alexander Madison, who came in and, you know, we could confidently project for 25 to 30 running back opportunities. Like there wasn't that this past week. So, um, it was, it was definitely, I started my process like from a lineup construction process this past week at the running back position, because I knew that it was, um, carried a little bit additional importance for your profitability this week. Yeah. And, and really, you know, one of them, uh, Herbert, you know, they, he was the beneficiary of a turnover inside the 10 yard line and a short touchdown. And he still only got 19 points. Uh, Chuba Hubbard was the, um, the, the Chuba uh, was the one who really disappointed for us. Um, I, the way I played the running back position was I wanted to be heavy on Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook, and DeAndre Swift. And DeAndre Swift, as often he does, got there late. Um, it wasn't a, a, a slate breaker, but uh, Joe Mixon, uh, I know, and Dalvin Cook were guys that you were on as well. Um, you know, so that part of it, especially with Kareem Hunt getting hurt, uh, you know, that part of it, I I feel like I, I played the right people and it worked out. Yeah, I was... I was basically all over this week uh, and I could not find the magic roster. Basically um, my running back pool was Chuba Hubbard was the big miss. Obviously he put up like 13, 14 points, something like that. Um, and I just, I liked his potential for 25 to 30 back 30 running back opportunities. And I was heavy on Joe Mixon and Jonathan Taylor. Um, that was a, 
That was a late Saturday night, Sunday morning realization for me, for Jonathan Taylor. And we saw what he did on the like 16 running back opportunities that he got. And if they had fed him even more, it could have been an even crazier game. But um, yeah, so I, I was all over the running back position, but I, I didn't have um, an extremely profitable week because I did not find all the pieces on the same roster. Yeah. And, and, and I kind of had similar results, but uh, one of the reasons I like Joe Mixon so much was that I felt he was also pretty good leverage that Joe Burrow was going to have more ownership than he normally does. And that uh, the wide receivers were uh, anticipated to have a decent amount of ownership. So I felt that Joe Mixon was a, you know, like that's what we're looking for, right? We're looking for guys who not only are good plays on their own, but they're giving us some leverage on some players who um, were supposed, you know, like Chase was 16 and a half percent. I mean, you know, for a a guy, you know, that that's pretty heavy chalk. I I wouldn't say chalk, but I mean, that's some pretty heavy ownership. And I'm going to look up T Higgins here next, but DraftKings is not. yeah, T was projected for a Not pretty good amount of ownership. Yeah, and I'm just going to look at what um, – and, and the reason I bring this up is, you know, the next time yeah, – T Higgins had 16% ownership as well. And so, you know, right there, that's 32%. I bet Tyler close to 10. I'm going to look that up. But, you know, you had a chance to get Joe Mixon at – Really pretty good ownership, uh, much lower than some other people. And, you you know, he was, if he did well, that it was likely, and T. Higgins didn't have a good day. Jamar Chase was okay. uh, And Tyler Boyd scored 1.7 points. He only had 6.6 ownership. But the point is, um, you know, that's the kind of thing we're looking for. Uh, But... um, you know, the Kareem Hunt injury, he wasn't doing much even before that. Yeah, he had a, a pretty shitty game script for production. And I actually, I came off of Kareem Hunt now that we're talking about him. I didn't play him at all this week. And my reasoning was that last year when Nick Chubb missed games, they basically just moved Kareem Hunt into the Nick Chubb role. So like he was still seeing like 50, 55, 60% opportunity share. Um, and up from 40, 45% what he is without Nick Chubb. And in my mind, like that was the likeliest scenario moving forward for uh, the Browns backfield. So I came off of him and I actually, I moved over to a rule that I I basically had two rules um, for myself when building this weekend. And it was always one Ram. So that moved me to, either Darrell Henderson or Cooper cup on every lineup and always one Viking. And I actually came off of Dalvin um, just because of the uncertainty with his injury and, and Madison um, being ruled as in late. So that moved me off of him. And so I had either Adam Thielen or Justin Jefferson on every lineup as well. Um, And that was a, that was a Saturday night realization for me when I was going through my process and I was like, I'm so high on Chuba Hubbard this week because 
I'm projecting him for a solid workload, I feel like the Vikings are going overlooked. And that led me to the Thielen eruption game. Yeah, I, I was over on Thielen. Um, so here's how I, hand, you know, and from a single entry approach, I think that's the right way to do it. From an MME approach, <clears throat> what I did with Kareem Hunt was um, I didn't limit him in the optimizer, but I took him out of games that I thought would be chalky. So basically, I did not let the optimizer put him in any uh, chief redskin games, and I didn't let him go into any Baltimore Charger games, right? But then the rest of my games, I felt like, you know, I'm just going to leave him go and let the optimizer give me who it gives me. And so I end, I knew I'd be under, and I ended up right around where I thought I would be, about 23%. Um, it didn't work out, but I think, again, what we're trying to teach is the, the thought process behind. And, you know, you don't want Kareem Hunt in a lineup with chalky quarterbacks and receivers, but in a lineup like I played Teddy Bridgewater and um, – uh, I played Dak, who was low-owned, and I played Mac Jones, who was low-owned. You know, those two games, David, uh, Derek Carr, uh, I could have as much hunt as the optimizer thought I should, right? Um, and it only worked out to about 40% in those games. Uh, so that is kind of, I think, something, if you're going to play a lot of lineups, that's a tool to incorporate. Yeah, for sure. I like that. And that brings up something in my mind that I'm surprised you haven't asked me yet is how I handled a slate without the Jets. I'm just kidding. It's a joke. <laughs> it's okay. You keep going. I told you, you keep going in and out. I'm literally getting like one word every week. I get like three words really? out of 10. Yeah. Oh, man. And I I, said, I don't know. I don't notice it. On, I mean, no one's mentioned you going in and out on the but and nobody else that I've had on guests appearances seem to go in and out like you do. I, I you know sometimes it doesn't happen, but I mean I've I'm catching like three or four words out of ten. So you, you know you're definitely not going to be as funny as you might be. <laughs> well, you can see me, so I look funny. So there, there you go. I, I don't have that open either. <laughs> I, uh, I I mean you know, but that's mostly to avoid my own looks. Um, I said, right. so, I said, I'm surprised you haven't asked me how I handled a slate without the Jets on it. Well, I, I, I know the answer to that. <laughs> the, the Lions were there. <laughs> no, I hate the Lions. I will play <laughs> Swift. Or yeah, but you played Goff earlier this season. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> In fact, I have a note on here <laughs> to just say, uh, we got to stop chasing the Lions. Like other than <laughs> like other than Swift, and and the thing with Swift is everyone's freaking out because he had like three points right before halftime, and I'm like he he scores all his points at the end of the second half and at, in the fourth quarter when they're down by three touchdowns. Until then, they just keep handing the ball to Jamal Williams for two yards. Yeah, yeah, that was that was rough. Um, Dave Kluge tried to argue on Twitter that he believes in Dan Campbell. And he didn't get my sense of humor when I replied about, like, that's what you have faith in. <laughs> uh, Who's anyway. that, Kluge? 
Yeah, Kluge, Kluge, whatever. Kluge, yeah, that that dude's a. I I, yeah. I may have to mute that word. Sorry to people who like him. And um, anyway, I shouldn't have done that. All right, <laughs> I digress. Well, I, I I totally digress. So, um, going through some of your other leverage points, one you had the Giants, and they had injuries, and and then kind of bad DJ, um, and and that killed that. And but it was Cup, so. Uh, I probably should have talked to you on Saturday because, you know, I was, I mean, it's so frustrating because I, every week it seems that I fade four spots and three of the four that I fade are like the nuts, right? Like I faded Lamar Jackson. I, uh, I, you know, I faded, uh, who else did I fade this week? Um, I faded. Uh, I, I had zero Herbert. I had very little Lamar Jackson. I um, and I was you know I was way uh, I, you know, but Matt Stafford was the one. Anyway, I digress. So um, the other thing is wide receiver. After the Giants, uh, well, I didn't let you talk about the Giants. Why don't you talk about the Giants? I think you kind of did with the Tony thing. It really kind of changed the dynamic. Yeah, that was basically that was it. I mean, when when you see a guy go three for 36 on the first drive, like obviously he's a big part of their game plan. And um, I was only going to play the Giants um, with Daniel Jones, Kerderis, Tony and Sterling Shepard. If Tony played, um, if he did not, I was going to be like one-offs with Shepard and that's it because I knew that that offense needed at least two um, viable threats through the air, uh, particularly with, you know, the defense on the other side. So um, it was unfortunate, but I would I would go back to that play uh, again and do it again if I had the chance. At wide receiver, your advice was Keenan and Hollywood Brown as you beat the chalk spots. I I went differently and, and going through all these different things, I'm I'm just shocked that I didn't make money because um my you know I was looking at the chalk wide receivers were Jacoby Myers, uh Pittman, and who was the and 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 Cooks right like in that range? So yeah, I looked in that range and I decided that I was already feeling very strongly. Everyone was so convinced that that Dallas uh, game was going to go under, and I thought that it had a chance to go over. And that's again, that's the kind of leverage that you're looking for. It was a 50 point game. Vegas certainly believed it was a 50 point game. No one really wanted to play that game. Um, and so I really not only went with Dak, but I forced a lot of CD Lamb and Amari Cooper into lineups. And then the other guy was Cortland Sutton, uh, you know, who was right in that price point, a lot of talent. Um, so that hurt me because I didn't get that much Cooper cup. Uh, and that's, that, that probably was why I didn't win, but your thoughts on the process with Keenan and Hollywood. And, uh, I just was really off that game, but, um, and your thoughts on me with Dallas and Sutton. Yeah. So the first thing that needs to be understood is on the Saturday pod, we are trying to relay like. 40 to 50 hours worth of study and process and 
like i guess leverage generation like around a slate and we're trying to relay that in an hour to an hour and a half so i wanted to ensure that i highlighted hollywood brown and keenan allen as underowned pieces of a popular game that i thought didn't deserve to be underowned that said i did not play anybody from that game on any lineup this week and obviously i only had four of them but um and i did play brandon cooks um because i came on uh i guess i my process led me to um jonathan taylor pretty heavily so i wanted to have cooks as my bring back in those lineups so that said i don't want people thinking that like oh hilo was like hyping up this spot and then didn't play it. It was a simple fact of me trying to cover a under owned aspect of a popular game. With that said, I guess to, um, to further that discussion, I also both in the podcast with Pavel and in the Saturday pod said that I thought that, and in the edge write up, actually, I said that I thought the, um, Baltimore Ravens and the Chargers game had a very wide range of potential outcomes. And that also played into my decision-making process that if that game was going to be so heavily owned, I was much more likely and much more apt to avoid it completely. Um, simply for the fact that there was a lot more of certainty from the field than I thought that that game um, had intrinsically. Uh, So that's kind of the process. And again, like the teaching point here is like everything in DFS is fluid and there's so many different pieces that we have to consider and make the best end decisions to maximize our EV over time. And that was one of the spots that I thought that the field carried too much certainty relative to the actual certainty from the game. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. And your thoughts on how I got around um, some of the chalk mid-range wide receivers? I really like the how your stance on the Dallas game um, because in my mind, I had a great deal of certainty that that game was going under. I felt that way all the way back to Sunday night or Monday, I think I wrote it up this past week, of the early um, line inefficiencies. And, and it wasn't just you. Yeah, Literally, and, every every expert felt that way. And that's, that's exactly the point, is if you have conviction... That's why I played it. Yeah, if you have conviction and you see a great deal of certainty, similar to um, the... Or I guess if you see a great deal of certainty from a spot, like... The other side of that was the rant or the uh, the Chargers and the the Ravens, and you don't see the same level of certainty. You or you doesn't know football, or you uh, basically have identified that spot as a wide range of outcomes. Like that is a spot where you need to personally take that on board, realize that, and translate that into your lineups because that is an an inefficiency from the the field, the market, basically. Yeah. So, so basically it's not that I think everyone was dumb. I don't think that everyone was necessarily wrong either. It's that I'm trying to win first place, right? That's what we're teaching everyone. 
And so I need to practice that in my own lineups. So you show me a game with a 50 total that Vegas feels is a 50 total game. And you show me the field is completely convinced that it's an under game. I don't have to have a ton of certainty to attack that spot. Right. So if you look at my um, and, and I'll show this tomorrow, the average projected ownership on three sites for DAC was 5.4 and Mac Jones was 3.3. So I made 15 percent of my lineups with DAC and six with Mac Jones because I felt like DAC was really the guy more likely to, to, to post the, the slate winning score. But I wanted to have some Mac Jones as well. So 21% of my lineups were on that game, right? Versus own average ownership of nine. So I was a little bit more than 2X. And, you know, you don't even have to be like super convinced that it's going to happen. It's just that you want to look for spots that the feel, you know, we've seen this a million times. I, I I do it a lot in best ball where people are just so convinced that a guy is no good that he ends up, you know, he, he was an eighth round pick, but now everyone's convinced he's no good and he's going in the 16th round. Well, maybe he has 13th round value really is what his value should be. So I'll draft him in the 16th round. I don't have to love the player. I just have to love the spot. And that's how I kind of felt about the Dallas game. I just thought that Dak had it in him to – Dak has it in him every week to blow up. And uh, the only thing that – I've been losing, but the only thing this year that tilted me was right before halftime, um, Dak did a uh, sneak, and he got in the end zone. The announcer said he was in the end zone. The referees disagreed, and they didn't review it. They rush up to the line, and then he takes the ball, and he puts it out like this. Uh, no one can see me but you. And someone touches the ball and loosens it before he crosses. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, like if if it, you know, what if that, you know, that extra six points would have driven the game faster even more. So anyway, I, I'm talking a lot, but uh, I think the key point that I'm trying to make is look for spots where people are are just so certain that someone is wrong. And it's a, a decent spot to be over. Yeah, and not to not to belabor this point too much, um, but the end score of the Dallas and the Patriots game was a highly variant. The, the path to get there involved a great deal of variance um, in the sense that in the last, what, five minutes of the game, there were two touchdowns, two field goals. So that's 20 points. And then obviously the... CD Lamb, the and then CD Lamb in the overtime. So that's 26 points in the last effectively five minutes of the game, um, which clearly is a highly variant act. And that and that born touchdown was very. Uh, but I, I will come back and say, Mark, that in the first half, that six points that Dak should have had for that touchdown, that was a fumble. And they settled for field goals. In other words, at the end of the game, when things got out of hand, Dallas had 200 more yards than the Patriots. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm just counterbalancing it that it could, it, it could, you know, but the point is it could go either way is what you were saying. Yeah. And when that is the case and nobody's on it, like that's a good spot to be in. 
Correct. When you can get when you can take 20% of your MME lineups on a 50-point game that has 8% ownership, you know, as Blender would say, I like that math. Yeah, 100%. Um, the other game that I was heavily over, just to give you an idea, um, I, again, I didn't like this game all that much, um, but it was a 44-point game on a week where we really didn't know. Uh, Derek Carr, average projected ownership 1.6, Teddy 3.0. That's 4.6, so I went 5% Carr and 10% Teddy. I had 15% on you know, Again, now I'm 3x. Sure, I, I am looking at a less likely scenario for that game to blow up. But if it did, I was going to get paid pretty well. And it almost did. It, it, it did go over. Yeah, particularly with kind of the perceived dearth of options from the afternoon. Um, if the morning games largely disappointed, which they did, like that leaves you additional outs uh, by betting it was, it was on it. a 58-point game. Yeah. And and Teddy, two hold the ball. Uh, I call him that now because instead of wearing two gloves, I call him two hold because he'll hold it and then he'll move around in the pocket and it'll look like he's going to throw it and then he'll hold it again. <laughs> and then and then the rush finally gets him and he still hasn't thrown the ball. Um, watch, putting money on Teddy Bridgewater is a kind of a maddening thing. Yeah, 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 for sure. All right, Mark, it's time for the results. Let's talk about your lineups and your results. Um, yeah, so I, I cashed on two out of the four lineups. Um, they were both a little bit larger than min cash. So, I mean, I'm like made just under two X my money on the weekend. Um, and one of the lineups that cashed was a Daniel Jones, Kadarius, Tony, Sterling Shepard lineup. So all in all, I felt like I was all around the right plays. The one in question, I'll read it off to you was obviously Daniel Jones, Kadarius, Tony and Sterling Shepard. Joe Mixon and Chuba Hubbard at running back. Tyreek Hill as the other wide receiver. Ricky Seals-Jones at tight end. And then Cooper Cup and the Lions to round it out at defense. And If you, if you had Cup and Thielen, you had a, a good chance to cash this week. Exactly. So I had... I had Cup, I had Thielen, I had Henderson, I had Jonathan Taylor. Like I had all the right pieces. I just they didn't come together on a lineup to where I was threatening 200 points. So I think the highest scoring lineup I had this past weekend was like 180 points. Um, this one that I just read off to you was my single entry and popped for 150.48. Um, so not like crazy, but the the way that I kind of how this lineup came together was I wanted to narrow down my running back pool. Like we talked about to a, the most certainty that I could grab this week. And from there I would mix in my game stacks. Um, and obviously the big one here was Daniel Jones, Kadarius, Tony Sterling Shepard and Cooper cup from that same game. And then from a macro portfolio perspective, I wanted to, um, always have one Ram. And this was actually the only lineup that I did not have one Viking. Um, so I wanted to prioritize those two teams as I felt there was a greater deal of certainty from the players on those teams than we could find anywhere else this week. 
Yep. I ended up losing about half my money. It was a lot worse until the end where that Dak game and the Teddy touchdown. And then it was kind of tilting again when there was a, uh, they, they get an onside kick and you never get an onside kick. And then Teddy throws an interception like the next play. Um, I had a team in uh, 197th place in the slant um, that had Dak, Hunt, Mixon, Robbie Anderson, Lamb, Thielen, Dalton Schultz, uh, Jacoby Myers, and the Cardinals. Um, I played a lot of, but my best team was, um, you know, had that Teddy, you know, that Teddy uh, stack. But uh, it's getting a little frustrating, Mark. But we, I think we're seeing a lot of weeks that end up against the way that we're trying to build. And I'm just waiting and hoping and praying that the, that, that, that changes in week seven. Yeah, week, speaking of week seven, week seven is going to be a doozy. We have, I think, like four of the 10 games are like a 9.5 spread or higher. And that's like all the good, the good players, like from first glance are like from those four teams. So it's going to be crazy. Well, it gives us a lot more opportunity to dig a lot more opportunity to practice all the things that we've been learning. Mark, as always, it is a great pleasure to see all the work that you're putting in all the great content that you're giving to OWS members. And I really hope that next week is a banner week for you. Likewise, brother. Thanks, man. All right. That's going to do it. I will do my uh, slant podcast tomorrow. Um, I will be covering another stage in the optimizer, and then we'll go through some lineups. That's going to do it for us today, folks. Thank you very much for joining us on the OWS Week in Review show.